What is the key to unity and cohesiveness between strong believers and weaker believers? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again. You are listening to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is Monday, November the 14th of 2011, and as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. God bless you, and thank you again so much for joining us today. Uh, We're going to be starting Romans chapter 15, and uh, we're going to be covering verses 1 through 3, so if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 15, and we'll cover uh, verses 1 through 3, and we'll start in just a minute here, but I did want to welcome you guys and let you know that I've put a little bit more thought into what we'll do next uh, after the book of Romans, after we're done with the book of Romans, because we've got, uh, you know, we've got another chapter after this, um, and really there's not a whole lot more. Uh, This might last another, uh, probably anywhere from three to six months or so. Um, But I was, I've got a couple ideas. Uh, The first thing I was thinking was maybe I will finish the book of John. If you guys remember, a few years ago, we had Justin doing the book of John, and I think he got up to uh, chapter 8, 9, or 10, somewhere around there. Um, But really, what he realized, uh, I guess, was that life gets busy, (laughs) and uh, he got married, and and they've got got a child and everything, and he just didn't have the time to commit to it. And these do take uh, an an extraordinary amount of time, considering that this is only a a half hour long, uh, or, or 25 minutes. It's a half hour long uh, podcast, but yeah, they take anywhere from uh, usually four to six hours, believe it or not, uh, between preparing and researching and uh, recording and editing and uh, all of that stuff. It takes uh, quite a bit of time. So anyway, I was thinking maybe um, we'd go back and, and finish uh, the book of John, just pick up where he left off. That's one idea. Um, another idea, obviously, is uh, just putting the, the sermons that I'm giving here at Linwood Evangelical Free Church on the book of Mark. Uh, this has been a, a great study. Um, man, I, I have never studied Mark uh, so in-depth before. It's a fantastic book. Uh, I'd say it's definitely up there with uh, with my favorites. Um, but yeah, if you have any ideas for, for what you'd like us to do next, uh, go ahead and shoot me an email at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com, or you can email me on Facebook if, uh, if you're in my friends network on Facebook. That would work too. Oh, and don't ask for the book of Revelation. <laughs> Not because I don't understand it, but because uh, that's another you know four to five year long project. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping for something a little bit shorter term than that, uh, shorter than Romans. Romans has been, you know, obviously a huge work. And the thing with uh, the book of Revelation is also that you really need to have a grasp of the book of Daniel before you get to the book of Revelation. So you're looking at, uh, <laughs> I don't know what, uh, you know, five to ten years um, be- before we complete a-, a study of Revelation. So, um yeah, uh, Revelation is something that I'm not really looking to do, at least at this point. Maybe somewhere down the road, but not at this point. But anyway, yeah, if you have any ideas, I'd love to hear from you guys. 
Anyway, uh, one final thing for you guys, uh, and that is to let you know that in December, everybody who makes a donation of $10 or more to our ministry is going to get a copy of this book by J.P. Moreland called The God Conversation. Uh, This is an apologetics book, so those of you who have been around since the beginning and you like the apologetics, uh, you are going to love this book. It's, It's really good. It teaches you how to talk about uh, difficult questions with unbelieving friends, um, and it, it's something that is kind of a different approach. Something that I think you guys will find very helpful. So, everybody who uh, who gives ten dollars or more to our ministry to help keep us going uh, is going to get a copy of this book. And if uh, if you have um, signed up to donate regularly, uh, regardless of how much you are giving, uh, you're going to get a copy of this book. So uh, anyway, yeah, you can go to our website and over on the right hand side, you can click on the support box and uh, you can set up either a a plan to donate regularly or you can make a one-time donation, um, whatever the Lord puts on your heart. Anyway, let's go ahead and get started with our lesson today with a quick word of prayer. God, we just thank you that you've brought us this far into your word, uh, that you've taught us so much. God, I just pray that you would continue to shape us in the image of your son through your word and through the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as, as we begin our study of the 15th chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Rome, uh, I thought it might be helpful to start off by briefly, and I do mean briefly, uh, reviewing the content that has brought us to this point in the book. The first three chapters were really just kind of a basic summary of the human condition. We saw that as God looked down into the heart of humanity, he saw that there was nobody, nobody who was good, not even one. In fact, God saw that people were so consumed with themselves that there wasn't even one person on the face of the planet who sought after God on their own. Chapter 3 concluded by telling us that into this abyss of sinfulness and selfishness, God sent Jesus for the sake of redemption, to pay for the sins of those who would trust in Jesus for their salvation. Uh, Chapters 4 through 8 served as an explanation of faith and the role of the law. And we saw that God's law can really be summed up in one word, faith. And you can say trust or faith or belief, whichever you prefer. But we saw that by trusting in Jesus, by believing in Jesus, the follower of Jesus becomes one with him, one with Jesus, which results in a new nature, a new heart within us, which frees us from the obligation to sin. That's a scary thing, but yeah, we had an obligation to sin, something that we were previously enslaved to do, so that we can now present ourselves as weapons or instruments of righteousness. We also saw that we're free from the law of Moses, and that we've received the gift of the Holy Spirit to not only lead and guide us toward Christ-likeness, but also to do things like pray on our behalf for the things that we don't even realize that we need. Uh, Chapters 9 through 11 were really kind of parenthetical, uh, and the purpose of those chapters was to illustrate the facts that were presented in the first eight chapters by applying those Uh, the the theological truths that we got out of those chapters to Israel throughout history. And what we saw was that in the end, God will be faithful to his promises, which he made so long ago to Israel. And that brings us to the current section of the letter, which started with chapter 12 uh, and kind of goes onward. And if we were to give 
you know, the, the first half of the book of Romans, uh, a title, it might be how to be a follower of Jesus. If we were to give, uh, you know, a title to the chapters 12 through 16, a proper title might be something like how to live like a follower of Jesus. The overall focus of the previous chapter, chapter 14, was the unity that followers of Jesus are instructed to share with one another. And we saw that Paul basically uh, broke Christ followers down into two categories, those who are strong and those who are weak. And the theme of the 15th chapter, which we're starting today, is going to be very similar. But it's going to answer some questions about the unity of Christ followers that weren't answered in chapter 14. So let's go ahead and take a look at what Paul writes next as he starts chapter 15 here. Uh, Writing in Romans chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Well, again, here we see that Paul is classifying followers of Christ as either weak or strong, right? And he considers himself to be among the strong. And for what it's worth, my opinion, uh, you know, I'd agree with that. However, I would say that even though he's only addressing those who are strong, I think he probably realizes that there are weak brothers and weak sisters in the Lord who honestly and sincerely believe that they're strong. There are weak who believe that they're strong. And, you know, I remember the first time I was able to bench press 200 pounds. Wow, you know, 200 pounds. Uh, (laughs) You know, I remember looking back at that time, I remember looking back to when I could barely lift 150 pounds. Uh, 200 pounds had seemed so far away, it seemed so huge. But I got there, and boy, did I think I was strong. Uh, but one of the friends I had, um, you know, he, he wasn't really all that impressed, however. You see, he had bench-pressed over 400 pounds before. Uh, this guy was a serious gym rat. Uh, he was in there every day lifting weights. So when I told him that I could bench-press 200 pounds, he gave me a kind of strange look and just kind of said, Cool. As if to imply, (laughs) no big deal. You see, growing up, I had been kind of a scrawny kid in high school. Most soccer players, uh, I played soccer, most soccer players have really, really strong legs, but they don't do a lot with their upper bodies. And uh, and yeah, that describes me. But as a young adult in my early 20s, I was more concerned, uh, more interested in working my upper body. So bench pressing 200 pounds made me feel like I was strong, but really, you know, compared to my friend, for example, I was still kind of a weakling. So keep in mind that Paul is addressing both the weak and the strong in the faith, knowing that it's common for those who are weak in the faith to believe that they are strong. Now look at the instruction that he gives the stronger person in the faith. He says that we ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. From time to time, you probably realize that I like to point out places where I think that something is maybe mistranslated, uh, and this isn't a mistranslation per se, uh, because up until about 100 years ago or so, maybe 150 years ago, this would have been more likely to be properly understood, because the meaning of the word ought, I think we get a little bit confused by it. The, the meaning of the word ought was commonly understood 100 to 150 years ago. See, the word ought in older English, was past tense for to owe. The Greek word is the same. The word that gets translated as ought here is often translated as owe. 
like I owe something to somebody. In our modern vernacular, the word ought really means should, as if it's something that's optional. But Paul isn't telling the stronger people in the faith that bearing the weaknesses of the weaker brothers and sisters in the Lord is something that's optional. It's not. It's something that he's saying we owe them. He's saying that if you count yourself among the strong in the faith, you have an obligation to help the weaker. You owe it to them to bear the weaknesses of others. Why? Well, first of all, because at some point in your walk with Jesus, someone else had to do it for you too. But more importantly than that, it's what Jesus did for you. Have you ever wondered what makes the Navy SEALs such an elite group of people? I mean, this is the most feared military team or unit on the planet. They're the ones who took down Osama bin Laden. They're the ones who freed the captives from that hijacked boat in the Indian Ocean um, off the coast of Somalia a couple years ago. They're, they're incredibly good. They're very disciplined, and they're very successful at what they do. Why? Well, there was a recent article in the Wall Street Journal, which was written by a former Navy SEAL, and he talked about the one quality that tends to determine whether or not someone will successfully make it through SEAL training or whether they'll drop out. He writes, and this is kind of lengthy, so bear with me, but, uh, but he writes, what kind of man makes it through Hell Week? That's hard to say, but I do know, generally, who won't make it. There are a dozen types that fail. The weightlifting meatheads who think that the size of their biceps is an indication of their strength, the preening leaders who don't want to get dirty, and the look-at-me former athletes who have always been told they are stars. In short, those who fail are the ones who focus on show. Some men who seemed impossibly weak at the beginning of SEAL training, men who puked on runs and had trouble with pull-ups, made it. Some men who were skinny and short and whose teeth chattered just looking at the ocean also made it. Some men who were visibly afraid, sometimes to the point of shaking, made it too. Almost all of the men who survived possessed one common quality. Even in great pain, faced with the test of their lives, they had the ability to step outside of their own pain, put aside their own fear, and ask, how can I help the guy next to me? They had more than the fist of courage and physical strength. They also had a heart large enough to think about others. And the name of that, uh, that, that article was The Seal Sensibility, uh, and that was on, uh, in the May 7th, 2011 edition of the Wall Street Journal. You see, practicing unity is something that doesn't come naturally for us, if we're being perfectly honest. We don't want to have to go to someone else when they offend us, right? We want them to come to us. And when we offend others, well, we don't want to go to them then either. We want them to come to us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, that if we've offended a brother in the faith, we're supposed to go to them. He says, leave your sacrifice at the altar and go to the person you've offended. And he instructed in Matthew chapter 18 that if someone has offended us, we're supposed to be the one who goes to them. So the gist is this, no matter what the situation might be, no matter who the offense comes from, the burden for practicing the unity and cohesiveness that's supposed to characterize followers of Jesus always falls on your shoulders. Now, there are different ways that people can learn cohesiveness and unity. For those in the military, it's, it's really important that they, uh, that they learn to be cohesive and united. And so therefore, when they go through boot camp, the drill sergeant intimidates new cadets uh, day in and day out. 
the routine of boot camp is so rigorous and so physically and mentally exhausting that a cadet doesn't have the energy or the willpower to be rebellious or defiant. The cadet is thus broken down and rebuilt in a process that's really been tried and tested for over 200 years now. And the end result is that they learn to function selflessly as a team. That's one way to develop unity. That's not the way to create unity among followers of Jesus. Uh, There's another way to create cohesiveness, and that's through fear or consequences. Uh, Sometimes, for example, a child will go along with what the parents want for fear of consequences, like maybe getting restricted, you know, getting put on a restriction. Maybe they won't be able to play video games for a couple days if they don't do the dishes, or maybe they won't get any dessert if they continue to bicker with their siblings. Uh, on the flip side, uh, unity might also be created uh, by giving rewards. If someone knows that there's something in it for them, they'll comply with what someone else, parents or whatever, want them to do. However, once again, this is not the way to create unity among followers of Jesus. We don't do things based on what's in it for us, and we don't do things based on fear or pleasure. So what do we do things based on? Simple, love, and not so simple. Love is the key to cohesiveness and unity among followers of Jesus. Weaker and stronger brothers, that is the key right there. Love is what gives us the patience to exercise grace rather than force, to exercise gentleness rather than arguing with them. Love causes us to be kind and gentle with people that we don't necessarily really like. So Paul tells the stronger believers that we must bear the weaknesses of those who are weaker in the faith and not just please ourselves. And this is difficult. It's not natural at all. But if we're driven by grace and if we're walking with the Holy Spirit the way that we should be, we must be willing to step outside of our comfort zone and do it anyway. You know, my kids and I have been kind of taking up hiking ever since we moved up here to the Seattle area. There are some great trails for hiking within just a couple miles of uh, of the church. And one of the trails is incredibly steep. It goes straight down to the ocean, and it is really, really steep. Well, my daughter is only 10 years old, and this trail really exhausted her when we went on it. So I had two options. You know, I, I could uh, slow down and keep pace with her, or, you know, I'm in good enough shape. I could have just marched right up the, the trail uh, without stopping and without slowing down. I could have just left her in the dust. Well, what I ended up doing was carrying her backpack, which had her lunch in it, and slowing down for her. I even gave her some of my own water. And I think this is probably a pretty good analogy for the loving patience that those who are stronger in the faith must exercise with those who are weaker in the faith. A person who doesn't know Jesus has themselves as an idol on the throne of their heart. Everything they do is done from a mentality that cries out, it's all about me. That's what we saw in Romans chapters 1 through 3, right? Even the greatest atheistic philanthropist gives to charities and not begrudgingly because there's something in it for them. Maybe they're going to get some kind of tax break. Maybe it's the joy of knowing that they've given more than anyone else. Maybe it's because they think that what comes around goes around. Whatever the case, ask such a person to give to the point that it makes them uncomfortable. That's when the giving stops. But for the follower of Jesus, we're called out of that type of thinking. We're called to give of ourselves, even when giving makes us really, really uncomfortable. 
even when it requires self-sacrifice. With every action that we're instructed to do, Paul has a pattern throughout Scripture, throughout his letters, of pointing to Jesus and telling us that we should do for others as Jesus has done for us. And so thus, Paul continues by writing here in verse 3, Romans chapter 15, verse 3, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, I think we should note the recurring theme here is pleasing. We must bear the weaknesses of others rather than pleasing ourselves. Each of us is to please our neighbors by encouraging them and uplifting them, giving them edification. And even Christ did not please himself. He was the ultimate example of selflessness. He didn't have to do what he did. He didn't have to step down from heaven's throne to become like one of us. But he was selfless. Even when he didn't want to do something, such as go to the cross and die, he was selfless. He did it because it pleased the Father. That's the reason that he went to the cross. He loved us, and thus we must love others. You know, throughout our study of Romans, we've seen that to love means to give someone else a higher priority than you even give yourself. We also know that three times on the night before his death, he told his followers, Jesus told his followers, that they were to love one another. For example, in John chapter 15, verse 12, we read, This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. So with this understanding of what it means to love, you know, we could paraphrase this verse to say, This is my commandment, that you put others before yourselves, just as I have put you before myself. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 to 4, Paul's addressing a church that was apparently having trouble practicing unity and cohesiveness because it seems like uh, the most probable cause was there were people in the church who were more concerned with their own needs than they were with the needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ. And thus he instructed them, writing, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And we find the basis for this instruction in the next verses, where he says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. That's from verses 5 to 7. Again, Philippians chapter 2. So again, we see that Paul is pointing to Jesus as the ultimate example for us to follow. He didn't live for the sake of pleasing himself, but for the sake of serving others out of a love that's really just too deep and incomprehensible for us to completely wrap our minds around. Now back to the uh, to this letter to the church at Rome, Paul quotes Psalm chapter 69 verse 9, which was a prophetic psalm about the things that Jesus would experience. The reason that Jesus faced the reproaches, the insults of those who insult and reproach others was because he chose not to please himself. He didn't deserve to be insulted. He didn't deserve to be reproached. He certainly didn't enjoy it, but we're weak. And he's strong. And we needed him to restore our broken relationship with God. And so thus he took all the insults and reproaches upon himself. 
If he can do that for us, if he can be that giving of himself for us, how much more should we exhibit the same selflessness toward others, choosing to please Jesus, choosing to please God instead of ourselves? So in light of what we learned in chapter 14, the message of these three verses is simply this. We grow and become strong in the faith when we don't let our personal opinions and convictions become an excuse for treating our weaker brothers and sisters in Christ poorly. But instead, we give them a higher priority than we give ourselves. When we're dealing with someone who is weakened by legalism, we don't argue with their positions. If, uh, for example, they think that the King James Version of the Bible is the only legitimate version, then for their sake we respect their opinion, and we try to use the King James Version when we're talking with them, even though it might not be our favorite translation, or maybe it is, but either way. If they think it's, uh, it's sinful to eat meat, well, when we go out to eat with them, we stick with a salad, even though we can and would rather eat meat. Uh, if they know that they've offended us, but they don't come to us, what do we do? We go to them even though we know that they're also supposed to be the ones to come to us. So it works the same way that a marriage does. It's not a 50-50 relationship. Rather, commit yourself to giving 100%, knowing that there have been and there will be in the future times when you have needed or will need someone to give 100% to compensate for what you're unwilling or unable to do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for strengthening us as you walk with us. Lord, I pray that you would put the convictions on our hearts that we need to walk more closely with you, to be more graceful in our lives. God, I pray that you will help make us into better disciples, stronger disciples who are able to raise up other disciples who are weaker in the faith at this point, but because of your grace, because of the grace that you've shown us, we're able to show that grace with others. We love you. We thank you so much for this time. I pray, Lord, that you will bless and preserve this message for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today and keep growing closer to Jesus. You gave